Welcome back to the First and Beer College Football Podcast. My name is Dylan Callen Crowley. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, Anthony Hazan. Uh, Anthony, we haven't talked in a while. Schools are starting to get, come back to campuses across the country. Looks like we're going to have college football relatively on time. Uh, so I think this means we should start previewing uh, teams across the country, starting with the ACC. What do you think? Absolutely. This is great news to see that a bunch of campuses – all around the country are starting to roll out their plans to get their student-athletes back on campus in the most safe and efficient way. And yeah, so it looks like we're going to have college football relatively on time to start the year, so we might as well start looking into the 2020 season since we have almost certainty that it's going to happen. Fully agree, Anthony, and uh, let's just dive right into it. So the way this is going to work, starting today with the ACC Atlantic, I think I may have said the Coastal in the intro, but we're starting with the Atlantic. We're going to look at each Power 5 division per episode. So today, ACC Atlantic. Next episode, ACC Coastal. So 10 episodes there. And then we'll do five episodes for the group of fives. One episode per conference. Uh, There will be weeks where we double post in terms of putting out episodes just so we can get all the conferences in before the season begins. Obviously, since we don't have uh, 15 weeks uh, before the season begins. Uh, as of today. So um, let's dive right into the ACC Atlantic. Boston College Eagles are up first here, going alphabetical order. Um, after seven seasons of uh, Steve Adagio over there on Chestnut Hill, Jeff Halfley, former Ohio State defensive coordinator, has taken over that program. Uh, Boston College is coming off a 6-7 and seven season. Uh, last year it wasn't uh, the greatest season for the Eagles. Uh, they started off the season nice with a victory over Virginia Tech, 35-28. And then they did pick up a win over FCS uh, program Richmond the next week. Uh, but after that, Anthony, uh, their season kind of went downhill. Uh, they fell to Kansas uh, at home. It was, I believe, Kansas's first road victory in uh, almost a decade. Uh, they got blown out, actually, in that game. Uh, they did beat Rutgers the next week, but after that... Uh, they only won three more games all season um, and would end up uh, losing in the Birmingham ball to Cincinnati uh, 38-6. to So they never really found their footing last season under Steve Adazio. Uh, obviously, they made the change to move on from Adazio, now into Jeff Halfley. Uh, so first, what are your expectations for Jeff Halfley at Boston College? Well, I think they needed to move on from Steve Adazio. Obviously, you know, when your ceiling kind of is mediocrity, you don't really want to stick with a guy that you're not really going to take the next step with. And, you know, Adazio is a serviceable coach, but I think with Jeff Halfley, they have a guy that is young. He's an up-and-coming coach. He's one of the bright minds in college football. Obviously, he comes from the Ohio State coaching tree, so that helps a lot. And I think that they have a guy that they can move into the future with. However, I think it's going to take some time. I don't think this year is going to be the start of anything special for Boston College. This year is definitely going to be a transitional year, especially when you you had a lot of key losses from that team from last year that we'll probably get into in a second. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, and I think it's also important to note that uh, this Boston College team really needs to find their defensive identity. Here in 2020, last year, their defense wasn't all that great. Uh, They allowed 32.2 points per game, which ranked 101st in the country. So bringing in a strong defensive mind, young defensive mind, who uh, 
could really help uh, rebuild that identity on the defensive side of the ball, I think is important there. So, uh, yeah, fully agree with everything you said there about Halfley. Um, you did mention key losses and returners. Um, this team did lose uh, quite a bit from last season, especially uh, in that backfield. They lost Anthony Brown, who started 28 games over the past few seasons. He's off to Oregon. Um, and, of course, they lost uh, running back A.J. Dillon, um, obviously off to the NFL. Dillon has been a tremendous running back for them for the last few years, but they'll have to find a new uh, lead back in uh, that backfield. And, obviously, with the quarterback uh, gone, they're going to have to basically replace probably one of the more dynamic duos in the entire ACC in terms of their backfield. Uh, they lost offensive guard John Phillips. And to go along with that, they also lost uh, Phil Troutwine, their offensive line coach, who helped uh, send all five uh, starting offensive linemen last year uh, to, to ACC honors uh, last season. So they, they have quite a few losses. That's obviously not all of them, but those are a few notables. Um, any thoughts on their losses? Yeah, I mean, first of all, anytime you lose your starting quarterback and your starting running back, you know, you're going to run into a little bit of trouble the next year unless you're a team like Clemson or Ohio State who can just replace guys, you know, next man up kind of thing. A.J. Dillon was a second-round pick this last year. He went to the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, he was a pretty high draft pick for a running back, and I expect him to have success in the NFL. So that could help out Boston College in terms of their running back recruiting. You know, it's always good to have those names that you can go off of. As well as um, offensive coordinator, or excuse me, offensive line coach Phil Troutwine might actually be the biggest loss out of all of those guys because, like you said, he had all five of his starting offensive linemen earn all ACC honors last year, anywhere from first team to honorable mention, which is extremely impressive at a school like Boston College. You know, these kids weren't all highly rated kids. They were, you know, three stars, maybe low four stars at best, and he took them and made them really, really quality players. So for Boston College, it all started with the offensive line, and that really drove their success. Yeah, and I think uh, making sure that offensive line uh, can continue that success here into uh, 2020 will be mildly important for them. Uh, we talked about Anthony Brown leaving. Uh, they right now would have uh, retro junior uh, Dennis Grossel be their starter quarterback. He uh, he played sparingly last year. He uh, completed about 48% of his passes uh, for, I think, just under 1,000 yards, and he had nine touchdowns and three interceptions. Um, but they also brought in Phil Jerkovic uh, from Notre Dame, a former five-star quarterback. Uh, he never really got to see the field at Notre Dame uh, with Ian Book as the starter. Some reports out of South Bend say that he just never really lived up to the hype of being a five-star quarterback in terms of practices either. Uh, but at the same time, this is a big blue-chip uh, former high school prospect that Boston College here. Uh, so this will be an interesting quarterback battle to uh, watch. Uh, who would you give the nod here? Do you give the nod to the former five-star or do you give it to uh, the guy who's been around the program? But obviously the playbook is going to be both. Uh, I mean, if Djurkovic can get a waiver, I would think that he would be, win that quarterback battle. You know, he's the type of guy that he'll he'll generate interest for Boston College. Yeah. You know, he was a blue-chip quarterback coming out of high school, signed with Notre Dame. It just didn't pan out there. 
But I think that, you know, him transferring, coming into Boston College, he can have an opportunity to come in and play right away and show everybody that, hey, he is that good and he was worthy of being a highly rated quarterback out of high school. So I think if he can get that opportunity, I think that, you know, he will win that battle and that he will be their starting quarterback this year. Yeah, and in terms of key returners, uh, they did lose two offensive linemen but bring back three of them, headlined by uh, Ben Petrula and Elijah Robinson. Uh, so offensive line coach Man Applebaum has a nice foundation there with three uh, returning all ACC offensive linemen. Uh, and he has a good, he has a pretty good track record, so we'll see if he's able to continue this success that uh, Phil Travline was able to build there in. Uh... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, um, you know, like Steve, Coach Steve Adazio, he was an offensive line coach. You know, his yeah. forte was, you know, building up offensive lines, and clearly at Boston College, they, um, you know, they made their name off of that. Obviously, their offensive line has been impressive enough. We've spoken about that at length, but. Even in the recruiting class last year, they brought in uh, four-star guys such as Kevin Pine and Ozzy Trapillo, both out of Massachusetts. So Boston College continues to establish that you know they are going to prioritize building from inside out without starting with that offensive line. Yeah, and I think I think that's the way you have to do it if you want to build a program. Uh, the uh, trenches are the most important, and if you can build strong offensive lines and defensive lines, that makes the job easier for everybody else on the field um so we'll see what happens there um in terms of building that offense uh but let's dive into their schedule here um it's not the hardest schedule not the easiest schedule uh they start the season off uh at home against syracuse then they get ohio at home they travel to kansas looking for a revenge against the les Mazes jayhawks they return home for three games against Purdue, Clemson, and Louisville on the road at Virginia Tech, back home to Hull against Holy Cross. And then they are on the road for three of their last four games with road games against NC State, Florida State, and Wake Forest with a home game against North Carolina uh, built in there. Uh, so, Anthony, looking at their schedule, any quick thoughts? Uh, and what is your, right now, your prediction for them? Like I said, this isn't going to be the year that Boston College starts turning things around and potentially develops a decent program. I think Jeff Halfley has the potential for it to happen, but just not this year. I have them finishing the year at 4-8. and eight. I think they'll start off the year 3-0 and oh because as bad as I think Boston College is going to be, I think Syracuse is going to be just as bad, if not worse. So I think they'll beat Syracuse at home, they'll beat Ohio, and they will redeem themselves and beat Kansas this year. And yep. then the only other game they'll get is Holy Cross in their eighth game of the season. So I have them at four and eight. Yeah, that's exactly what I have them there at. That um, I think games against NC State and Wake Forest may be able to be uh, toss-up games, and maybe Florida State, depending on how the Seminoles develop this year. Uh, but that first four-game stretch from Purdue, Clemson, Louisville, and Virginia Tech—that's a tough stretch uh, there for them. Uh, so yeah, I have them at four eight. Any last thoughts on them? Yeah, the reason why um, I went with you know Wake Forest and NC State being losses for Boston College, a big part of it had to do with the fact that both of those games are away, you know, at NC State at Wake Forest. I think the home field advantage will swing those games in the other direction for Boston College. Yeah, those are great thoughts, uh, and that very well could be. Um, so with that, I think that's Boston College, and uh, we can move on to Clemson. 
and with the Clemson Tigers, it's probably going to be one of our shorter previews because, uh, well, let's be honest, uh, they're one of the best uh, teams in the entire country. Uh, this is going to be a team that's going to be in the top uh, five, if not top three, for the entirety of the season, barring something uh, that is just nobody sees coming. Uh, but last year, the Clemson Tigers were 14-1, and including 9-0 and in the conference play. Uh, that one loss, of course, coming in the national championship game to LSU. Uh, for the most part, they cruised through their 2019 season with easy victories, pretty much outside of a one-point victory over North Carolina. Uh, and they dominated the ACC championship game against Virginia, uh, escaped uh, the Fiesta Bowl with a 29-23 win over Ohio State, and then, uh, as I said, lost to LSU in the national championship game. Um so, yeah, uh, Anthony, I think there's no denying it. Clemson's going to be, once again, one of the best teams in the country and uh, probably see them in the playoffs this year. Absolutely. I just remember last year, you mentioned that one-point loss, to, or one-point win, I should say, over North Carolina yep. where they almost lost. And I just remember how after that game, every analyst was talking about, oh, is Clemson as good as we thought they were? Are they going to, you know, be in the playoff are they going to go back to the national championship and then of course they turn it on after that game you know Dabo uses that as motivation for his players because he loves to play the underdog card of Clemson and they go to the national championship and they just ran into the, the, the chosen one Joe Burrow and you know that kind of stopped them in their tracks but they just fully dominated last year and let's be honest they're going to do the exact same thing this year they might be are, the best team they in are the for me right now uh, are they your number one team heading to the season I think they have to be for now. It's definitely Clemson and Ohio yeah, State, one and two for me. Maybe like one. Yeah, a, I think I do. Uh, like I mean, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama is the top three right now. Uh, yeah. That uh, but me. yeah. That uh, so this Clemson team did lose quite a bit, uh, but they also returned quite a bit. Uh, some key losses they had this uh, off season. Uh, they saw Isaiah Simmons, AJ Terrell, T Higgins. Kevon Wallace, Tanner Muse all move on. Uh, but possibly the biggest loss uh, just came out this past week. And that's that wide receiver Justin Ross is not going to be able to play this year. He uh, has a – what type of injury was it again? I forget the exact name of it. I'll let you look that up while I describe it. But it's basically an injury – where his neck and spine yep. are fused together. It was an injury that occurred at birth, so it wasn't due to playing football. But he has to have surgery to correct it, and it could potentially even be career-ending for him if the surgery isn't 100% yep. successful. So for Justin Ross, we wish him a healthy and speedy recovery. We hope that he is able to not only just continue his football career, but also be healthy because, you know, besides, you know, being a football player, he is extremely Extreme. talented at wide receiver, and he could ease he could ease he could easily be the best receiver coming out of you know college next year into the draft. Yep. So uh, it is uh, by definition congenital fusion of his spine. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel bad even calling it an injury because it's really not even an injury. It's uh, really just more of an unfortunate circumstance that he was uh, born with there. And thank God that they. Uh, we're able to catch this now before 
uh, it could have led to any actual serious injury. Uh, but like you said, it's a big loss because he is probably the best receiver in the country hence this season. He was probably going to be a top 10 draft pick uh, if he got through his season healthy and all. Uh, and this creates what was a question, even bigger question for the Tigers, and that's uh, their wide receiver uh, corpse there. Uh, it's obviously a very talented one, but there's not a ton of experience there now with Justin Ross going down, and you already lost T. Higgins to the NFL. Um, do you think that that wide receiver uh, issue or question mark is going to be something they can overcome this year? I think they'll be fine, especially with the ACC being as weak as it is, to be honest. I think, you know, they still have Amari Rogers coming back, and he, you know, did really well for Clemson last year. He'll step in and be Trevor Lawrence's number one option. You still have Travis Etienne out of the backfield, who is a threat both in the running and the passing game. And I'm sure that there will be plenty of guys, or at least a couple more guys, that will step up on that offense. And Trevor Lawrence is so talented that he'll be able to you know, adapt to what he's given. So it's a big loss for Trevor Lawrence and for Clemson, don't get me wrong, but they will be fine, and I it doesn't change my opinion on where Clemson could go this year. Yeah, and now in terms of key returners, obviously Clemson, best team in the country probably. They, pretty much any starter is a key returner for them because uh, most of them are probably going to go on to play in the NFL. But uh, just three names off the top uh, that are obviously key returners, Trevor Lawrence, uh, who is going to be probably the first overall pick, if not definitely the second overall pick. Him and Justin Fields will probably be battling for that all season and off season this year. Uh, Travis ATN, um, you got to like his chances to win the Doak Walker, be in the Heisman conversation. Uh, and then on defense, you got Xavier Thomas. Uh, I mean, those three alone could probably make most Power 5 teams uh this upcoming season, uh, conference championship contenders, if not playoff contenders alone. I mean, yeah, elite recruiting gets you elite results. And uh, Xavier Thomas, uh, since we've talked so much about Lawrence and Etienne, I'll focus on Xavier Thomas a little bit. He was a five-star kid coming out of the high school. He was a top-five player in the country in the class of 2018. And he's just getting the opportunity. He, like, made himself known last year. This is his year to step up and become one of the best defensive ends in the country. And Clemson is known for producing elite defensive linemen. They have been for the last 10 years. I think that he is the next guy up in that line, and he's going to show everyone this year that he's a national name. Yeah, I think some people have been disappointed in his first uh, few years there. Uh, but I think part of that may have been just due that there's unreal talent all around him, and he just didn't always have the opportunities. Sure, he missed some opportunities, but I think, he, like you said, he's going to take that next step. I mean, when you look at the guys that were in front of him the last couple of years, you know, Cleveland Farrell was a defensive end that was a top five yeah. pick. Dexter Lawrence was a top 20 pick. Um, Austin Bryant. Austin Bryant was another one. Who's the other? Oh, why am I? Christian Wilkins. Yeah. I why I forgot his name. But he was a top 15 pick a, like a year or two ago. Dexter so, Lawrence. Did he play with Dexter Lawrence? He did, yeah. I believe so. So it's it's been just so much talent on that defensive line at Clemson that it's hard for younger guys to step in and contribute even for guys as talented as Xavier Thomas. And, and with that, even if Thomas doesn't take that step, the thing with Clemson is if he doesn't take that step, somebody behind Absolutely. him will. We haven't even talked about C.J. Henry yet, who was a, also a five-star defensive end that Clemson yeah. signed in the same class. So Clemson has so much talent right now that if one guy isn't going to step up, somebody else will. 
yeah, and outside, and I agree, and we could pretty much talk for hours just about how talented Clemson really is. Uh, while I said receivers was a big question, my other question for Clemson this year is just, is does Trevor Lawrence have another step he can take up? Obviously, last year he didn't have the season everybody was expecting him to early on. He threw a lot of interceptions, kind of appeared lazy, uh, and I think that was just Trevor Lawrence is probably to that point where he's so good that when he faces poorer teams or teams that just don't match up well, he kind of gets bored and kind of kind of gets lackadaisical. I I, don't, I think with everything that uh, is at stake for him and his future this year. I think we see another step out of Trevor yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, sometimes I think that Trevor Lawrence is like that smart kid in class. Like, he's just too smart for his own grade, so he doesn't try as hard. I feel like Trevor Lawrence is like that sometimes with college football. And he absolutely has a step up he can take. He needs to cut down on his interceptions. That was a problem for him the last year or two. But I expect him to take a step up and be in the Heisman conversation. Yep, and uh, schedule-wise, we're not going to go through this entire schedule. They're, but their non-conference games include uh, Notre Dame, Citadel and South Carolina. I don't see anybody here on the schedule that can stop them. And honestly, I think uh, nobody on the schedule right now can even probably come close to beating them this year. Uh, Notre Dame yeah, may give exactly them a Yeah, that's exactly what run. I was going to say. I have them at perfect 12 and 0 in the regular season. The only if you want to look for you know a chance at an upset at Notre Dame has the potential. You never know, but I don't have anybody beating them. Yeah, I fully agree, and I think uh, we can move then on to uh, the Florida State Seminoles. The Seminoles, like Boston College, have a new face taking over the program. Former Memphis coach Mike Norvell uh, moves it to Tallahassee, and he's now the head man uh, with the Seminoles. He takes over for Willie Taggart, whose uh, two-year tenure there was certainly disappointing. Uh Last year, uh, the Seminoles start off the season slow with uh, a loss to Boise State at home. Uh, they did narrowly escape uh, Louisiana Monroe in their second game. And then they did pick up what was a quality victory in their third game of the season against Louisville. But after that, uh, it was pretty much downhill from there. Um, and they had blood losses to Clemson, Miami, and Florida, uh, just to name a few, uh, before ending their season in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl with a loss to Arizona State. Um, what are your initial thoughts on Florida State? I mean, State just looking back at last year, it was just, it was very clear from the middle of the season that just the Willie Taggart experiment was not going to work. You know, the first loss to Boise State, you know, they were winning big in that game from what I remember, and they, they just blew like a 20-point lead to end up losing that game. And then to lose as big as they did to Clemson and even worse, Miami, and to cap it off with getting blown out by one of your biggest rivals, Florida, I think that really just showed that Florida State was not the team that we are used to them being. You know, we're used to them being a team that competes with Clemson at the top of the ACC, and the last couple of years, it just has not been that. So, you know, we'll see if Mike Norvell can take the reins and he can, you know, start to get this team you know, going in the right direction again. Yeah, I fully agree. And you mentioned that loss to Boise State. They were up 24-6 in that game in the season opener before falling, 36-31. And, I mean, you look at their offense. Their offense last year wasn't bad under uh, with Justin Blackman as their quarterback. They averaged 27.9 points. It's not great. It was about 
around 75th in the country. Uh, but their defense uh, allowed 27 points as well. I mean, those Florida State teams that were really good, they were not only were they amazing on offense, but they had strong defensive uh, identities. And that's just been missed in the last few years. Uh, Mike Norvell, obviously a great offensive mind. Uh, my biggest question, though, is will they be able to uh, find that defensive identity that they've been missing the last few years? I will say that um, one of their key returners for this upcoming year is Marvin Wilson. He's a guy that um, could have been a first-round pick potentially if he had came out into the draft yep. this year. But um, he decided to come back to school to help Florida State for one more year. So I think that's going to be a big help to that defensive line at Florida. You know, while Coach Odell Hagens is still there, from to my knowledge, he was the interim head coach last year when um, Willie Taggart was fired. So um, having Marvin Wilson back will be a big boost for him. Before we do move on talking about Florida State, though, I want to get your thoughts on something that happened recently with Coach Mike Norvell and Marvin Wilson. So if you remember on Twitter, uh, Marvin Wilson actually called out Coach Norvell because he claimed that he had sent an individual text to every single player you know, asking them about their personal views and opinions, you know, with everything going on after, you know, the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests. And Marvin Wilson called them out and said, you didn't individually text all of us. You sent us all the same exact message and claim that you did. And it caused a lot of, you know, tension and a lot of interesting drama on Twitter. So what are your thoughts on that? And is that going to affect Mike Norvell trying to sure. establish, you know, a team chemistry and to get the players behind him? in his first year on the job. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the one thing you don't want to do before your first season is lose the locker room. And I know I saw an article that says that uh, Norvell and Florida State players uh, talked, and uh, they're all, I guess, good uh, per se. Uh, but, yeah, that was an entire – that was a very interesting uh, situation that happened there in Tallahassee. And uh, I think to a point that maybe, like, I find it hard to believe Norvell knowing, and I'm not calling Marvin Wilson a liar or anything like that, but I, I would just find it hard to believe for him to put out a statement like that and blatantly lie when he knows that people can, that people will check it and stuff like that. So I, I don't know if there's a misunderstanding of something that happened uh, or did Norvell maybe stretched the truth about something a little bit. I mean, it's an interesting conversation uh, to have, and I I still have a lot of questions about it myself. Yeah, listen, we might not ever know the full details of what happened, nor do we probably need to ever know the full details of what happened. But you know, I just hope for the sake of Florida State and for the sake of Coach Norvell in his first year there that he is that they've all you know made up that they've all come to an agreement on you know, what they will do moving forward and that they can put this all behind them and move forward with football. So looking at some other key returners for Florida State, uh, one of the first ones that stands out is a quarterback, Justin Blackman. He is um, presumed to be the starter coming into next year for Florida State. So it'll be interesting to see if he will be able to have success with Mike Norvell and if he can take the next step in his development. Um, along with him on offense will be wide receiver Tamarion Terry. Another guy like Marvin Wilson who probably could have went to the NFL this year, but he decided to come back. He will definitely be James or Justin Blackman's leading uh, target at you know on offense this year. So it will be interesting to see if he can take a step forward and help Florida State take another step. And on defense, 
Uh, Hamza Nasruddin is a, a defensive back for Florida State. He led the team last year with 101 tackles. So he was he's a very good player for them, and he's going to help lead that secondary as well. And some key losses, no one was bigger than the running back Cam Akers. He was a 1,000-yard rusher for them for the last couple of years. He was a second-round draft pick to the L.A. Rams. And Stanford Samuels was a defensive back who was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Packers, so he is off to the NFL as well. So, Dylan, going into 2020, how do you have Florida State doing this year? Where do you see them finishing overall? Yeah, and before we jump into their uh, schedule and prediction, I just want to say, uh, with Justin Blackman, uh, he got a lot of flack and last season if he was uh, the right man for that job. Uh, obviously, they didn't have great quarterback depth the last few years, uh, but he had a good season last year. I know his Sun Bowl game was rough. He had, like I think, four interceptions against Arizona State, uh, but I think he still has a chance to be a pretty good quarterback for Florida State this upcoming year. Biggest question for him, though, is, is he going to be able to adapt to a new offensive playbook? This will be his fourth offensive coordinator in four years. So I think that's going to pretty much decide a lot of Florida State's success this year uh, offensively. But let's go back to their schedule. Um, we're not going to go over all that. I know we did for Boston College, but I think that wastes too much time. So non-conference-wise this year, they're facing West Virginia, Samford, FCS program, and uh, they travel to Boise State this year. And then in turn. They also have Florida, of course, to end the season. Uh, first look at their schedule. I see this team as a floor of a 6-6 six and six team and possibly an 8-4 and four team. I think games against West Virginia and Boise State are potential toss-up games. Um, and the only t- games um, that I see as true losses are Clemson, Miami, and Florida. Uh, and I think... A game like NC State or Wake Forest, maybe Louisville, uh, could also be one of those toss-up games. One of those games that Florida State just inevitably drops along the way. So uh, six and six to eight and four is where I see them this year. I'm actually a little more optimistic about Florida State. I see them as an eight and four. I have them finishing the year with eight wins. I think that in terms of West Virginia and Boise State, I think they're going to split those two games. So they'll win one, they'll lose one. I think they'll beat West Virginia at home and then lose to Boise State on the road. I also have Clemson, Miami, and Florida as losses for them. But I think the rest of those games that they will win, with the biggest one being a win at Louisville, which is the next team that we will cover, and I think that Louisville has a chance to take another step forward. I think that Florida State will get the best of them this year and end up with eight wins in what will be a great start to Mike Norvell's coaching tenure. And with that, let's uh, move on to the Louisville Cardinals. I'm a big fan of Louisville heading this year, uh, mostly because of their head coach, Scott Satterfield, who's entering his second year with the program after building a hell of a program over there at Appalachian State. He moved on to Louisville last year, turned around the Cardinals from a 2-10 and record in 2018 to an 8-5 record last year, one of the best turnarounds in all of college football. Um, and really, after a tough loss to Notre Dame last year, they, they did well. They won four of their next five. Uh, they did hit speed bumps against FSU, Clemson, Miami, and Kentucky along the way. Uh, but they finished strong with 38-28 win over, over Mississippi State in the Music City Bowl. Their offense entering this year is probably one of the best in the ACC, Anthony. Defense, of course, needs a lot of work. Uh, but overall, what are your impressions on the Cardinals moving into 2020? 
I think the, the future is bright for Louisville. I think that Scott Satterfield, like you said, has done an incredible job of turning Louisville around. And it's really interesting because their best players are, you know, they didn't really have any big losses. We'll get into that in a second. But all their best players are coming back, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that's really going to benefit Louisville going into this year. And I think that they have an opportunity to really make a huge impact in the ACC. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to – like, I don't think they're – obviously, both, we both agree on this. They're not going to compete, per se, for a division. But this is definitely a team that uh, could change the ACC uh, pitcher uh, in either division, uh, depending on who they beat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, listen, they're not competing with Clemson anytime soon. But, you know, they, they have an opportunity to potentially step up and, you know, maybe finish second in, you know, that side of the division, second in the Atlantic. Well, I agree, and let's talk about some of those uh, key return turners on the offensive side of the ball. Start with Malik Cunningham, their quarterback. He passed for over 2,000 yards last year, 22 touchdowns, five interceptions. He also added, um, let's see here, he added 482 yards on the ground and six touchdowns, so 28 total touchdowns there for Cunningham. Their offense really started to get the ball rolling after he became their starting quarterback. Still room for improvement. But a good starter to have there. Javion Hawkins, their starting running back, he returns after a 1,500-yard season. Leading wide receiver, Jeterius Advil, returns after a 1,200-yard season and 11 touchdowns. Their second leading receiver, Des Fitzpatrick, returns after having a 600-yard-plus receiving season and six touchdowns. Like This team is full of just speed on the offensive side of the ball and game-changers. Uh, I think this offense is going to pretty much be able to go up against anybody they play this year, maybe outside of Clemson, and put up points. I agree. It's all going to come down to the defensive side of the ball for Louisville. Can that defense take a step forward? If they can, Louisville has a great opportunity to make a statement this year. Yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, they do return uh, linebackers C.J. Avery and Rajay Burns, uh, their two leaner tacklers from last year. They did lose uh, defensive back uh, Kane Pass. Uh, who used up all his eligibility. Uh, but there is a good core there with Louisville's defense returning. Uh, oh, like you said, though, it's going to come down to that. Can they take a step forward? If they can, this is a team that maybe can't push that nine-win mark. If not, uh, I think they're going to sit at uh, probably that 7-5, 8-4 mark where they were around last year. In terms of key losses, they did lose um, Makai Becton, who obviously went in the NFL draft left overall to the Jets. Uh, wide receiver Seth Dawkins uh, did not get drafted, but he did sign with the Seahawks. And then uh, offensive lineman uh, Tyler Haycraft, again, not drafted, but signed with the Giants. Uh, so they do have to replace two of their offensive linemen, which is a big question mark. Uh, but overall, you got to like what they're bringing back on offense. If they can replace Becton and Haycraft, um, I don't think there's – no reason this team isn't going to compete uh, considering their schedule. Absolutely. Looking at their schedule to, for this year, I have them at 8-4 and four to end the year, similar to Florida State. I think that uh, the losses I have them are obviously at Clemson in their second game of the season. I think they will lose to Florida State, like I mentioned before. And at Notre Dame and versus Kentucky are the, the other ones. Louisville-Kentucky will obviously be a toss-up game. They can really go either way with that. One of the big upsets that I have, or if you can call it an upset, I have them beating Virginia Tech this year. That is at home, though, and I also have them winning at Virginia. 
So I think that they can go on a little run there, beating the teams in Virginia. Yeah, I got them at that 7-5, 8-4 mark. Uh, the only four losses I have right now are Clemson, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. Uh, and the only one that's a toss-up for me, which will determine that 7-5, 8-4 mark, is Virginia. You don't think Kentucky's going to give them a run? Yeah, they... I think they I think they can take down Kentucky this year. I think they're a better team than Kentucky. I think losing Lynn Bowden is a huge loss for Kentucky. Um, so yeah, I think I think Louisville gets Kentucky this That's year. Fair. And I think with that, that pretty much wraps up uh, Louisville, which means we can move on to North Carolina State, uh, who is coming off a four and eight season. And as I just said, four win. It's just last year for the Wolfpack, uh, a disappointing season after back-to-back nine and four seasons. Dave Dorian enters a huge year here uh, in rally, especially with Mac Brown looking to build that North Carolina team up just down the road. Uh, so let let's look at this uh, from last year first. They started off four and two, very good start, uh, but they lost every game from there on out including to Georgia Tech. So, I mean, Georgia Tech was a, one of the worst teams in the country last year, and that comes as a Georgia Tech uh, writer. There's still a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball, especially at quarterback for North Carolina State last year. Uh, at quarterback, they really had three guys throw more than 90 passes, that being Devin Leary, Matt McKay, and Bailey Hawkman. Um, and it... None of those guys really stood out last year, and it, not having spring ball, I think, may have hurt North Carolina State more than most ACC teams because they need to figure out this quarterback situation if they hope to have success this season. What are your initial thoughts? I mean, looking at their schedule from last year, I'll go as far as to say that the season really started to take a dive after that Florida State game because they lost that yeah. game 31-13, to and they come back, they play Syracuse at home and only win that game 16-10. to and Syracuse was not a good team last year. So and then they go and lose at Boston College by 20. And then from there, they just were blown out in every single game except for Georgia Tech. So I really think that just from that Florida State game, the, the season just started to go all the way downhill. And it was, it was a rough year for North Carolina State. And I completely agree with you about the quarterback situation. We look at all the other teams that we talked about so far, and most of them have their quarterback situation figured out. NC State, you really don't know who they're going to go with this year. So they need to get that situation rectified because otherwise, you know, this season isn't going to be a good one for them either. Yeah, I 100% agree. They, if that quarterback position for them this year is so, so important. I mean, uh, he, just some of the stats, Devin Leary last year, who um, coming out of high school was a very talented recruit. He was only a freshman last year. Um he completed 48% of his passes for uh, 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, Matt McKay, uh, who was a sophomore last year, 57% completion, three touchdowns, one interception. And then Bailey Hockman uh, completed 55% of his passes for one touchdown and four interceptions. On paper, Devin, Devin Larry is the most talented of them all, uh, but it's is he going to be able to... Uh, take the step forward they need him to take yeah just looking at their team stats too like the points per game totals you know only 22 points per game on offense last year i was 107th in the country out of all fbs teams 
So they need to get that number up this year. You need to be scoring at least 30 points per game in a Power 5 conference if you want to expect to have success. Yeah, and it's worth knowing before we go any deeper that North Carolina State uh, was expected to be almost a a reload team last year. I don't know if anybody expected them to be a 4-8 team. But that was a team that had a, sent a lot of guys to the NFL over the two seasons prior. So last year was expected to be a down season, 4-8 though. Uh, definitely not what was expected. They do return, though, a lot of talent on that offensive side of the ball. Um, not as talented as some teams, but they do return uh, to a pretty good backfield in terms of running backs uh, with Zonovan Knight, Jordan Houston, and Ricky Person Jr. all returning. They were their three leading rushers last year. Um, Knight and Houston last year combined for uh, almost 1,300 yards and uh, over and seven touchdowns there. Um, they also returned lean receiver Emika Amenzi, who had a 500-yard season. So there is talent there on the off- offensive side of the ball. Uh, but they do bring in uh, new offensive coordinator Tim Beck, which raises a lot of questions to me. Uh, Tim Beck doesn't have the best track record. He uh, sputtered out at Ohio State as their co-offensive coordinator, went to Texas under Tom Herman, uh, it didn't work out there. So perhaps this is just the right fit for Tim Beck, but uh, having Beck there as the OC doesn't really give me any good feelings about their offense in 2020. Yeah, I agree. Beck's a guy that's kind of bounced around some of the you know highest prestige teams in the country, and it hasn't worked out at really any of them so far. So... You know, I hope for his sake he could get it. You know, to get it figured out, and for NC State's sake, you hope that he's the guy for them. This just gives me a feel of a team that's going to be leaning a lot on the running game this year. Like you said, they have some very talented running backs coming back. If those guys can take the next step forward, I think that'll be really what dictates NC State's success on the offensive side of the ball. But again, like every team, they got to figure out the quarterback. Yep, and uh, on defense, which needs to obviously improve this year, the uh, two notable names to know. Linebacker Payton Wilson's coming off a very good freshman season. He had 69 tackles to lead the team. Uh, very nice season out of him. And then defensive tackle uh, junior Alan McNeil uh, is their leading returner in terms of tackles for losses and sacks. He had 28 uh, tackles overall, but 7.5 tackles for a loss and 5.5 sacks. Uh, so they'll they'll look to build the defense this year around those two. Um it is a talented defense. It was just, I think, really young last year, and it was hard for those young guys to adapt to the college game and really get up to speed. Absolutely. And, you know, defense is also where their key losses sit, in my opinion. Uh, they had two guys get drafted this year. So uh, Laurel Murchison was a defensive tackle drafted by the Tennessee Titans in the fifth round. He was an all-ACC player. He had 11 sacks in two se- in the last two seasons with NC State, so he was a key contributor on the inside of that defensive line. And on the outside, Jane Smith-Williams, a much more athletic guy, he was taken in the seventh round by the Washington Redskins, and he was a two-year starter, and he had six sacks and nine tackles for loss in his redshirt junior season. He fell off a little bit on his senior season, but he did have a great junior season for NC State, and he is a guy that will be missed along that defensive line as well. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Anthony. Those are two big losses there for the Wolfpack, obviously. Uh, they'll need McNeil to step up. Uh, but they do have talent there on that defensive line. I think they have uh, Dante Johnson, who is coming off a decent season, and then Ibrahim Conte uh, at defensive end, along with Joseph uh, Bole-Teple. 
I probably butchered that, but uh, yeah, I think there's talent there that they could help replace that, uh, but obviously two big losses. Uh, let's go into their schedule. Before we go into their schedule, actually, uh, I think the w one other thing to note is not only is Tim Beck new to the off uh, to the staff there at NC State, but they actually uh, replaced five coaches in total this offseason. Um, so, again, not having spring practices definitely hurts uh, the Wolfpack uh, as they adapt to that new coaching staff uh, for the most part. But let's go to their schedule. Um, right now, I have the Wolfpack sitting at about seven and five. I'm probably going to lean more to six and six. I have NC State at six and six as well. I look at the schedule. I see obviously easy wins against teams like Troy and Delaware in the non-conference. I have them starting off the year zero and two. And the tough games against Louisville and Mississippi State. And the other losses I see for them are Florida State, Clemson, Wake Forest, and UNC. Yeah, that's pretty much what I have. I think uh, Mississippi State could be maybe a toss-up uh, game, uh, possibly. Uh, but, yeah, I have them at 7-5, uh, 6-6. And, six and, six. Um, and Any last thoughts? I had Wake Forest as, like, my toss-up game for them. That makes sense. I picked Wake Forest to win, but... You know, that in the state North Carolina rivalry, it always amplifies things. You know, UNC pairs up with Duke, oh, yeah. and I just assume Wake Forest pairs up with NC State. So, you know, those rivalry games, you never know what can happen. Yeah, I fully agree. And uh, I think that wraps up the Wolfpack, which brings us to uh, the Syracuse Orange. And, uh, Anthony, since you wrote up most of our uh, little team preview cheat sheet here for uh, the next two teams, including Syracuse that I just mentioned. Uh, I'll let you take the lead here on the orange. Thank you, Dylan. So uh, Syracuse finished their season last year at five and seven. So they just missed bowl eligibility. A little recap of the 2019 season. They actually started off the year ranked inside the top 25. They were at number 22 in the country, I believe. Uh, they started off their season strong with a shutout versus Liberty, but that was quickly erased the very next week by a 63-20 to home loss against Maryland. And Maryland finished a year at 3-9, and so that is a very, very bad loss for Syracuse. And it kind of just fell downwards from there. They finished the season 2-6 and six in conference play with two late-season wins against Duke and Wake Forest, so they did kind of bounce back later on in towards the end of the season. Dylan, any thoughts on Syracuse? Uh, yeah, I think this is a, a big year for uh, Dino Babers there in uh, Syracuse. I mean, two years ago, they were uh, really kind of one of the Cinderella teams in all of college football. And we, we all expected them, I think it's safe to say, to take a step forward last year. But uh, that obviously just wasn't in the cards. I I think it's safe to say they even took a step back last year. Uh if you're even just looking off uh, their records, obviously. Um, and it was a big step back. So I think Dino Babers needs a big season there out of his program. I, I don't think 10 wins is what Syracuse is going to be at, at their peak. But uh, I think if you can get them back to that eight win mark, uh, that would be a good season for Dino Babers. But um, we'll get into their schedule, obviously. But with their schedule, I think eight wins is going to be tough to get to. Yeah, I remember Dino Babers for a while, at least a year or two ago. He was sort of a hot name in terms of like the coaching carousel as a guy yeah. that potentially could be moving up from Syracuse. I but mean, then the bottom kind of fell out for him, and obviously he's not really considered that anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, people were putting his name up there for the USC job when uh, people thought Clay Helton was going to get fired. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, and if he wants to move up eventually, he's going to need another big season there in Syracuse. If not, I think he's probably destined to be uh, middle of the line G5, I mean, P5 coach uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it definitely seems like he's lost his footing in that respect. Moving on to some key returners for Syracuse. So one of the bigger ones is quarterback Tommy DeVito. He is going to be a junior next year for the Orange. Last year he had a 63% completion percentage for uh, twenty over 2,300 yards, 19 touchdowns, only five interceptions. Good numbers on paper, but obviously on the field he needs to do a little more to push that Syracuse team to the next level. Another guy that I think is going to be very interesting is running back Abdul Adams. Adams is interesting because he was actually a transfer from Oklahoma, and he actually owns the record for the longest run ever in Oklahoma history. He had a 99-yard touchdown run. So he's an interesting guy that could come in next year and have a good impact for Syracuse. He was behind Mo Neal on the depth chart, so he's going to be. He has a chance this year to establish himself as you know a top of the line running back. He was a highly rated recruit out of high school as well. And one more guy is uh, wide receiver Tristan Jackson. And he uh, had 66 receptions last year for over 1,000 yards, so he was clearly Syracuse's leading receiver. He has an opportunity again to come back and you know hopefully push Syracuse to that next level. Yeah, uh, all three of those guys are uh, going to be huge in uh, Syracuse's success this year. Um, with DeVito, I mean, he had a tough task following Eric Dungy there as the orange starting quarterback. Dungy was a pretty good quarterback, to say the least, and was a big part of uh, the Orange's uh, success in 2018. And, I mean, stat-wise, he almost did better across the board than uh, Dungy did in 2018. Uh, I think maybe the only thing Dungy had more of was uh, passing yards. Uh, so I, I, I like DeVito, and I think he if he takes a big step forward uh, this year or even a, any type of step forward, that it will be big for the Orange. Um, I'm looking at who else was there? Uh Abdul Adams, uh, yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't watch a huge amount of Syracuse football last year, but I've I kept up with the news of the ACC and the highlights, and I, I think Abdul Adams has a chance to be a a, a name that really um uh, I don't want to say jumps off any list, but like I could see a breakout season coming for him uh, this season. Uh, uh, the other Tristan Jackson is uh, going to be a good threat for Tommy DeVito in that receiving game, and uh, Andre Cisco should help uh, secure that secondary. Yeah, I forgot to mention Andre Cisco. So he is the leading returning tackler. They had a couple guys who were leaving and you know were seniors and graduated. Andre Cisco had 65 total tackles last year on defense. He is a defensive back. So he is, you know, going to be one of the leaders of that defense for the upcoming year. Like I said, they did have a couple of key losses as well. They had uh, one guy get drafted, Alton Robinson, the defensive end. He was picked round five to Seattle. Also, I mentioned running back Mo Neal. He has been um, the leading rusher for them the last two seasons. He's had 1,000 yards from scrimmage from both the passing and the running game. So he's been more of a dual threat guy for them out of the backfield. And the biggest uh, loss on defense is linebacker Lakeem Williams. And for the numbers that he put up last year, I have not heard of this guy. He had 100 total tackles and 12 and a half tackles for loss just in the 2019 season alone. So clearly he was a huge piece of that defense and a guy that's going to be very hard for them to replace. 
Yeah, I mean, you it's incredibly hard to replace anybody who uh, rack ups uh, over 100 tackles and not to mention 12 and a half tackles for a loss. So, yeah, that's going to be tough. Um, I think uh, looking at their defensive stats here, like their defense last year obviously wasn't great. They allowed 30.7 points per game, and then you add in the fact that you lost that that high quality of a player. Uh, it's going to be tough for Syracuse to improve defensively, uh, at least in a major way in my mind. But if they could even improve a little bit, I think this is a team that could see two, uh, maybe three wins from that improvement. So sticking on the topic of schedules and win totals, um, I think that Syracuse is going to have a down year this year. I didn't really like what I saw from them last year, and I actually have them going 4-8 and eight this year. I think they could potentially rebound within the next couple of years. I just don't think this year is going to be that year for them. They start off with a game against Boston College. Then they have Rutgers, Colgate, Western Michigan, three kind of you know layup games there. I have them winning all three of those. And then they, they end their season with some really tough games. You know, Clemson, Florida State, Pitt in there as well. So I think I see four and eight for Syracuse. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm basically at the same spot. Uh, I have them at five and seven, uh, maybe six and six. So uh, I think wins, like we've said, uh, Rutgers, Colgate, Western Michigan, Liberty, and then Georgia Tech all should be wins for them. So that's five wins right there. I think Wake Forest is a toss-up uh, game. Uh, so I think that could be uh, the possible sixth win that gets in the bowl eligibility. Uh and then, yeah, so it's five and seven, six and six for me. So we are going to move on now to our last and final team, and that is the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Um, they finished last season at eight and five, and they are led by head coach Dave Clawson. So for Wake Forest, I really look at it as a tale of two, two halves of a season for them. So the first half of the year was great. Wake Forest was riding an all-time high as a football program. They started off the season 5-0, and and through eight games, they were 7-1 and with only a loss to Louisville ruining a perfect season for them. They were ranked as high as number 19 in the country up to that point. And then the bottom fell out towards the end of the year. They ended the season 1-5, and including late losses to teams like Syracuse and Michigan State, who also had really you know, average to mediocre seasons. So not great losses considering the start to the year that they had. Um, Dylan, any thoughts on Wake Forest? Because it really is a difference between two yeah i mean like you said t t tale of two different seasons there for them uh it's it's going to be interesting because on paper they're a team that should be pretty talented but uh you add in the loss of jamie newman who obviously transferred to georgia and uh there's a little bit more questions i, I mean sam hardman's going to be a pretty good quarterback in my mind but it's gonna it's gonna be a lot to ask him to step in and um pretty much pick up where uh jamie newman left off last season but additionally, I, I think it's also a big year for uh, Dave Clawson. Obviously, uh, he's had a couple good years now here in a row after uh, a rough two first seasons there uh, with Wake Forest. So if he has another good season here at Wake Forest, he could be a name we hear in the coaching carousel uh, this upcoming offseason. I agree. He was almost the guy that was looked at for jobs such as Florida State. He's been He's been talked about previously. So he's a guy that I absolutely would look out for in the very near future. We'll stick on the topic of Jamie Newman here because that's obviously the biggest story surrounding this Wake Forest program. Jamie Newman's obviously been their quarterback for the last couple of years. 
He has been very successful at Wake Forest, but he decided to transfer to the University of Georgia to play his last season of college eligibility, which is obviously a huge step up to a team that, you know, was just was just starting to show promise to a team that is playoff caliber every single year. So what does that mean for not only Wake Forest, but also Jamie Newman? For Wake Forest, I think it means um, you have to replace your best player at a premium position and a player that really changed a lot of the dynamic of your offense. Um, for Newman, I think it's still an interesting decision because you look at Georgia under uh, Fromm and Jake Fromm, and Fromm was a pretty good quarterback for most of his career there at Georgia. He, he did have his uh, bad games and bad stretches of play, but um, they never really took advantage of his skill set, and they never really been a tremendous uh, team when it comes to throwing the ball. Obviously, they made a change on the offensive side of the ball, bringing in, uh, now I'm blanking, of course, uh, Todd Monken uh, as their offensive coordinator, and he did have a, more of a, a, well, very much more pass-friendly offense uh, earlier in his career as an offensive coordinator. So uh, if uh, Newman gets that t- into that type of offense, it could be beneficial for him for his uh, next step of his career going pro. But at the same time, if you look at some of the advanced stats, uh, some of the advanced stats aren't kind of Jamie Newman when it comes to deeper passes and such. So I think it's, I, I don't think it's a given that Jamie Newman's going to have this incredible amount of success at Georgia this year, as some think. Yeah, obviously, I think Jamie Newman adds a different dimension to Georgia's game. You look at Jake Fromm, he was very much a pocket passer. He wasn't super mobile. He can get out of the pocket if he needed to, but it wasn't what he was good at. Uh, Jamie Newman, you know, can. He can he can run a little bit with the football, and I think he'll add an extra element to yeah. Georgia's game while also being a pretty solid downfield passer. I think he's I think he will have a good year. I don't think it'll be a Heisman worthy year, but I think he'll have I think he'll have a really solid season in Athens. He's got a lot of weapons around him, a lot more than he would have at Wake Forest. He does. But it's not all bad news for Wake Forest. They do have some key returners coming back, one of which is Kenneth Walker the third. He is a running back. He's only going to be a sophomore next year. In his freshman season, he rushed for almost 600 yards. So that's that's a pretty good start to his college career. I think he's a guy that could potentially be a breakout player in the ACC next year, especially with no one in front of him. He's the number one guy on the depth chart. Uh, also, linebacker Ryan uh, Smenda Jr., he was the leading tackler last year as a sophomore with 81 total tackles. So he'll be one of the leaders of that linebacker core and on that defense next year as well. And lastly, they still return their leading receiver as well. So Sage Sherratt is a a wide receiver who's going to be a junior. So a lot of young guys on this Wake Forest team as well. 66 receptions last year, uh, 1,001 yards, so just over 1,000 yards receiving. So Wake Forest does have some weapons coming back, and if they can replace Jamie Newman, they might be able to take advantage. Yeah, it's going to come down to, uh, I think, at this point, Sam Hardman. And uh, Hardman, a three-star recruit out of, uh, I think – I think he's from North Carolina, uh, but a three-star recruit. He was a decent recruit coming out of high school. Uh, if he can take a step in the right direction in terms of development, and uh, it'll, it'll be huge for Wake Forest. But if he struggles at quarterback and they're not able to find the guy for this year, this is this is a team I could truly see going anywhere from like eight and five to three and nine. Yeah, it could be a really crazy year for Wake Forest. And looking at their schedule, they do have some tougher games on their schedule. They play Notre Dame at home. They have Miami at home, Florida State on the road, Louisville on the road, and Clemson at home as well. 
So if you're you're looking at their schedule, Dylan, what do you like? You have to make a final decision. What is their record? Uh well, I think I am going to say uh, about four and eight or five and seven. Uh, I think while young and talent and rather talented, they're gonna have their struggles this year. Um, while I am a believer in Sam Hardman, I think he's gonna have his struggles this year. And their their schedule isn't the easiest. I mean, they do have three. Um, they have two should be wins in Old Dominion Villanova in their first three weeks of the season. But I don't think Appalachian State by any means is a given win. Uh, that that program always always plays Power Five teams extremely hard. Can give anybody their run for their money. We saw that against Penn State a few years ago. Um, but games against Notre Dame, Miami, Florida State, those are all probable losses. Louisville, Clemson, both likely losses. Um, so really, that leaves you with, uh, once you get the conference play, Duke, maybe NC State, and maybe Syracuse, as, and then Boston College's, Boston College's possible victories. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that Appalachian State point. I really do think that they're going to lose that game. Uh, I, App yep. State last year was a really, really good team, and I think they're going to be just as good this year. Uh, ha- having a young team with uh, a new starting quarterback uh, against App State it just seems like a bad combination early in the season. That App State team is always ready to take advantage of those who are not ready, and I think – Epstein will do that. So, yeah, I have that marked down as a loss, too. Agreed. I have their final uh, record being 5-7. and seven. I think that you mentioned Duke as a game they should win. I actually have them pick to lose that game. I don't know why I had it just as a toss-up, and I said it's at Duke, so I'll say Duke gets the upset there. I think they'll, they'll obviously win Old Dominion and Villanova. I think they'll beat Syracuse and Boston College, and I also gave them a win against NC State. So I said 5-7 and seven for Wake Forest is what I think they'll just miss out on bowl eligibility. Yeah, the Duke game for me was one of those toss ups, uh, but I gave Duke uh the victory there, uh, as it's on the road. Uh NC State, uh, I think could be very much a toss up as well as the Syracuse game and Boston College game. Uh most of it those came down just to home or home versus away and stuff. So uh yeah, so I'm at that four and eight, five and set uh, four and eight of unofficially because uh, I think we're going to probably give official predictions uh, right before the season begins. Uh, but I think 5-7 and seven is uh, also pretty likely. All right, so if, I'm, if we're wrapping everything up right now, that's all seven teams in the Atlantic. I think it's pretty clear who we think is going to come out of the Atlantic. It's obviously Clemson with a perfect 12-0 and record for both of us. And then we're both a little split as to who will come in second, whether it's Florida State or Louisville. But we think that, you know, those two are going to be fighting for second place in the Atlantic. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much correct. I think Florida State and Louisville are going to be battling for that second spot. Because uh, I just don't see any of those other three teams really, uh, or four teams really, uh, getting to that 7-8 win mark where I think Florida State and Louisville have that type of ceiling. All right, sounds good. So in the next episode, we are going to cover the ACC Coastal. And that has a little bit more parity in terms of who will come out of the Coastal. And uh, we will break every team down, and we will see who will be facing Clemson in our hypothetical ACC championship game. But uh, before we uh, wrap everything up, do you have any final thoughts, Stone? 
Uh, no, I think uh, just uh, continue to uh, stay safe uh, out there uh, in whatever manner you uh, choose to be going outside in. Um, a lot's going on in our world, so just stay safe and uh, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I echo those same sentiments to all of you. Please stay safe. If you like the podcast, please uh, give it a review. Rate it five stars, hopefully, on uh, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Um, you could also follow us on social media, on Twitter, at uh, first underscore and underscore beer. Or uh, you can reach out to us personally. at um, My Twitter is A underscore Hazan, H-A-Z-A-N 51. And Dylan, you have a long name, so what is yours? Mine's simply just uh, Dylan CC Sports. Um, yeah, so please reach out to us on Twitter and, and any of those three uh, profiles. Um, and like Anthony said, uh, whatever you're listening to us on, uh, subscribe to us, uh, leave a like, whatever you want. Help us spread the word about the First and Beer podcast. We are working on getting us onto Apple Podcast. Uh, usually our podcast should have automatically went there but there's been some struggles but we'll get it up there soon and that'll make all this a lot easier but uh thanks for listening everybody